How is that even possible? Are any of you asking yourself that question after watching that? How did she even find the strength to do it? How can the human heart, the human soul, endure such pain, such trauma, such loss, and yet grow in its capacity to love and make room with its fragile walls to forgive, to move beyond sorrowful resignation to relationship and even beyond contempt for another person's existence to a place of compassion and true, genuine, authentic love. Over the years, I've heard many stories of forgiveness from many people. Some I could understand and appreciate with some immediacy, while others I couldn't even fathom or perhaps even really appreciate until years later. Stories like Elizabeth Elliot, some of you have um, seen the movie about her husband and the four men who were killed at the edge of the spear, or maybe you've read her book, Gates of Splendor. Her husband, Jim, is known well for um, the quote, he is no fool to give what he cannot lose. He and four others were brutally killed by a tribe of individuals who, for whom they were trying to share the gospel. Or Immaculee Ilibagiza, who is the survivor of the Rwandan genocide, whose father, brothers, and even her six-month-old nephew were killed during the Rwandan genocide. She chronicles her story and left to tell. Or maybe it's the woman that I heard one time who she and her husband were um, Bible translators, and her husband was killed during the time of Bible translation. She came to the school I was working at at one time, and this little old diminutive lady was telling us the story of what it meant to translate the gospel. And she started the message by taking a pair of shoes out of a bag and sitting them at the front of the stage. They were her husband's shoes, the shoes he wore on the day that he was killed. She went back with her son who walked up and put his feet in his father's shoes and finished the translation of that Bible for that tribe of people. The story of Mary Johnson or Immaculee or Elizabeth Elliot or Mary and O'Shea are stories that are riveting. And it's one thing to watch those things on the screen, but it's a whole nother thing when you touch and meet those people. I, along with many others, had the privilege of meeting Mary and O'Shea in 2013 when I had the honor of inviting them to Bethel University where I was at the time the campus pastor, to be guests in a series called 70 Times 7, A Journey Toward Forgiveness. The name of the story comes from a portion of our foundational scripture today, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 22, where Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive a brother or a sister that has sinned against him. The purpose of the series, I must admit, was not simply to talk about riveting things, but to try to move our campus forward because we were struggling. We had many students and others who were in places of impossibility. It seemed like everyone was holding a grudge against somebody else. Maybe there was a misunderstanding and now roommates didn't want to room together anymore. There was an unkind word that was spoken. There was a grade given by a faculty member that seemed unfair. And so a student was angry. There was a breakup with a boyfriend or a girlfriend that had now moved on and was dating somebody else. 
We were just stuck and entrenched and we needed to find a way forward, a place of impossibility to possibility, of true genuine forgiveness through the work of the Spirit. To see Mary and O'Shea's story on film or to hear their words read aloud penetrates the heart to a deep level, but to see their faces, to be as close to them as I am to you, to touch their hands, to embrace them and to see them embrace each other. It was extraordinary. And what you see, that relationship between Mary and O'Shea, it is real. And of course, you can't get the whole gist of the story in just those few minutes. When you hear the whole story, you will hear the true struggle that Mary had as she sat in church year after year struggling struggling in her own intimate relationship with God. She was a deaconess in her church and yet she sat in those chairs and she was so overcome with anger, so overwhelmed that she felt as though her relationship with God was ebbing away and she was being eaten alive until she heard uh, the voice of God through someone praying for her who said, you need to forgive him. And Mary was outraged. How dare you tell me to forgive somebody who took my only child? Who are you to ask such a request of me? And yet she knew they were right because she was being eaten alive while O'Shea sat in Stillwater prison, being overwhelmed by his guilt. She sat in church overwhelmed by anger. And so it took her a while. And if you could hear her tell the story of the reluctance and how her heart was beating when she stepped through the doors. And I don't know how many of you have ever been through Stillwater or St. Cloud as I have to visit people, but it is door after door after door. It is dark and it is overwhelming. You can hear the slamming of the metal. It is an overwhelming sense. And when she walked in that door and locked eyes with him, she said she wanted to run the other way. She was met with anger of wanting to choke him and wanting to embrace him at the same time because what she saw was a child in front of her. She had all of the tensions that many of us have. Should I forgive him? After all, he killed my son, but he's somebody's child too. I'm sure you all have been there when you've had to forgive somebody. The tug of war of your very own soul. They don't forgive, need it. They don't deserve it, but I don't deserve it either the tug of war of wanting to be free and yet wanting retribution. Is this just and am I just if I don't let go? All of that was the backstory that we heard until Mary felt as though she had no choice in his presence as he wept and she wept to come around the table and to embrace him. She described embracing him and her knees giving out underneath her and how he caught her and held her and how they cried in each other's arms. And today, what we saw in that short Steve Hartman clip is a reality. In fact, Mary calls O'Shea her son. How is it even possible? It's a reality that for many of us, while some of these stories and they're, are miraculous and they seem extraordinary and they are deeply personal, they are not singular, meaning that there are others who have experienced and extended and provided this same kind of grace and are living lives that are forever changed, even in the midst of death 
and loss and grief, but somehow through the power of God, they've been resurrected to new life because the hope that they have found in and through Christ, in and through community, and for many in God. In fact, today, Mary and O'Shea still work together on the north side. Mary helps to convene groups of mothers who come together in a small house on the north side, mothers who have lost their sons to gun violence, and mothers who have lost their sons to prison. And together these mothers sit and they cry and they struggle with their stories. But the common denominator is that they have all lost a son. And the reality is that they are forging their way forward together, trying to find a way around this thing that we all struggle with, this word of the day, which is forgiveness. During the clip, Mary said some really powerful words that have helped me to let go of some unforgiveness that I thought that I had let go of a long time ago. She said, unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he has done. In other words, Mary was saying, in order for me to live, I have to put this in the hands of God. I am dying while he is dying. And if we both die, there's no way forward. Brothers and sisters, some of us have smaller things to forgive than this. Some of us have things to forgive that seem equally as large. But the reality is, is God is calling us to say, I want you to put some of this weight in my hands. Because if any of you have struggled with unforgiveness in your life as I have, you know what it can do to your soul and your spirit. You know what it can do to your relationships, to your parenting, to your ability to think. You know how it can entice addiction. Just one more drink to try to drown it out. How many of you know some of this stuff we've got to put in the hands of God because it is just too heavy. Unforgiveness is like a cancer, she said. It doesn't diminish what he's done and what's happened to you in your life or mine. It doesn't diminish what that person has done. And I don't know all of your stories, but I know enough about the human condition to know that there are egregious things that have been done in the name of Christ and out of the name of Christ, things that we hide in our closets because we don't think anyone would actually love us if they knew what had been done to us or what we had done. But the reality is, is there is freedom, a total kind of freedom that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we have got to open our hands and hearts and let him not only forgive others, but forgive us. So I get it. Pain is relative and the work that it takes to forgive it's massive and it can feel overwhelming. But here's the challenge. When we've already made up in our minds that we would rather remain in the throes of hate or eye rolling or gossip or slander rather than to do the work to move from anger toward forgiveness, we hold ourselves in bondage and miss the opportunity to heal. Here's what I've learned if I can be completely honest with you. There is something intoxicating about holding a grudge. We believe somehow it gives us control when really what it does is it holds us hostage. So let's look at the scripture today coming from Matthew 18, 21 through 23, and then just a few at 32 through 35. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna warn you, this is one of those portions of scripture that's a hard pill to swallow, but how many know the gospel wasn't given to us with frosting? 
Jesus' crucifixion wasn't pretty. There's nothing soft about the gospel. And so we have to let the hard word of the gospel sometimes stick in us a little bit. Because it's only when we deal with discomfort that we can actually trans, be transformed and change. So hear this word, Matthew 18, 21 through 23 and 32 through 35. It's on the screen here. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debts of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Anyone ready to go? <laughs> Here we find the story of Peter talking to Jesus. And he's having this conversation and said, Jesus, how many times should I forgive someone who wrongs me? 70 times seven? Now here's the background of that. Traditions of the rabbis, all who were under the rabbis taught that we should forgive someone two or three times. So Peter believing that he was being gracious, poor Peter, right? He's just always doing something extra. Here's Peter and he's like, he extended that number asking Jesus, should it be 70 times? And Jesus replied, nope, 70 times seven. What? Over and over and over. I should just be ready to forgive someone 490 times or more for a wrong done to me? And Jesus goes on to share the parable comparing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven to a king who wanted to settle accounts. And he tells the story of a servant who had owed him 10,000 talents, which today would be equal to 200,000 years of labor or $3 B billion. He had not paid anything to that point. And he certainly could not have even begun to pay back what he owed this king. And so he begged for patience and mercy. The king did not put him on a payment plan. Anyone grateful that Jesus didn't put you on a payment plan? Some of us would never be able to pay back Jesus for the blood that he shed. And we never will be. You can't be on a payment plan. There is nothing you can do to pay Jesus back for the sin that is in your life and what he took on the cross for you. And this is the point that Jesus is saying. This man begged for mercy. I can't pay you back. Please, Lord, be merciful to me. And he didn't put him on a payment plan. He canceled his debts. But then what happened? It goes on to tell the story that that very same servant went to another servant who owed him much less, a hundred denarii, which is like $5,800 and took a hold of him and said, you servant, you better pay me back what you owe me. And he asked for the same grace. And instead he was beaten. And instead he was treated horribly. 
And so as we find, it goes on to tell us that the people were so amazed knowing what had happened to this man who had been um, exonerated that they went back to the king and told him the story and he had him thrown in prison. And he was then um, treated harshly until he could actually pay it back. Now, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard scripture to hear. And yet the point is in the scripture alongside others, such as Ephesians 4.32, be kind, forgiving one another. Matthew 11.25, whatever you pray, whenever you pray, forgive so that you will be forgiven. Matthew 6.15, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Colossians 3.13, forgive one another as God has forgiven you. Ecclesiastes 7.20, there is no one who does good and never sins. Psalm 102.12, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness is not something that is little in the gospel. It is up front and in our faces, not simply because of what Jesus did for us, but because we cannot be the hands and feet of Jesus in a world if we are locked in a cell of unforgiveness of others and even of ourselves. As a member of the board of Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, and many of you have been on this stage or heard them sing from this stage, can you imagine the weight? Maybe some of you know it of what it is to forgive yourself. I remember a young woman one time standing in front of us before a board meeting And she talked about losing her three children. She talked about being a functional addict. And she said, I love my children, but I loved methamphetamines more. What a riveting thing when we as Christians can't even say that we bounced a check or don't have enough money or we got angry when someone cut us off in traffic. And here we had this woman saying, yep, me. I was an addict. Yep, me, I gave up my children, I lost my children. But because she learned the grace and mercy of God, she could forgive herself and the situations that led her to addiction so that she could actually forgive the missteps that she had about her own children so that she didn't have to go back into the cycles of addiction. Any of us who know anything about addiction know that we don't just use to be using. Oftentimes people use to cover up pain and trauma and hurt. And it takes work. Not just there, but how many of you know for us to forgive, it takes work. I'm asking you to do the work. I'm going to be bold enough to stand in front of you and ask you to do the work. Do the work to forgive yourself and to know that the blood of Jesus is enough. That you don't need to keep beating yourself. Keep telling yourself that you're not enough or that mistake will haunt you forever. That may be Satan's plan, but when Jesus hung on that cross of Calvary, it was to liberate you, not to go back to sin, but to go tell somebody else he lives and he saves and he delivers and he sets free and with tears in your eyes to realize the wealth of what you have been given. And then out of the richness of that forgiveness, Even when it is hard, do the work. Now for the work, some of you, it's going to be therapy. And it's going to be therapy for a long time. Amen. Jesus and therapy. (laughs) Hallelujah. Somebody say, I got Jesus and I got therapy. Go get it. It's going to be Jesus and a conversation that you don't want to have. Like I had to have with my brother. But I recognize that I can't ask God to bless me and be caged by rage and unforgiveness. 
I needed to be set free. Mark Twain has this beautiful quote that I love that says, forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Forgiveness is the fragrance that the violet, this beautiful flower sheds on the heel that has crushed it. That means that even when we are crushed, there is something fragrant and something beautiful that can still come out of this brokenness. Forgiveness is a balm. It's a perfume. It's a sweet fragrance. It doesn't seem like it should be, and yet it is. Perhaps you're like me thinking, "Uh uh-uh, that's great. Hallelujah. Good for you. But I still could not do it. There's just no way. In the natural realm, you're 100% right. You can't. You can't do it by yourself in the natural realm. We couldn't save ourselves from the penalty of death. We needed a way of escape. That's what came through a spotless lamb, a perfect sacrifice. It came through Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us this, 4 through 12. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds... We've been healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before his shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and now judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation even protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He has assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And through the Lord and through the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. That's you and me. And he will be the bearer of their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Don't just read that at Easter. Read it every day. That is our gift. That is our blessing. We were who trans were transgressors have been released. The bail has been was set. An opportunity forever to be uh, separated from him, but the debt has been paid in full. With a big stamp paid in full, your sin paid in full, your transgressions paid in full, your lying and thievery paid in full. Your drunkenness paid in full. Jesus paid it all. And when we get that revelation, we should be the happiest, freest people who fight to keep our spiritual lives, but also who cannot be kept away from telling people the reality of Jesus. Here's the thing, dear friends. And as the band comes up to play, I just, I want to leave you with a few things to consider. 
I understand that letting things go is difficult. Being made in the image and likeness of God, we have a sense of justice because our God is a God of justice. And when someone violates that, that God-imaged part of us wants to know when justice is going to be served. Part of the process of forgiveness may be a bit like having a priority of releasing that to God. Tim Keller says in his book, Forgive, How Should I and How Can I Offer It, other, to, offer it to Others? I want to commend that book to you. Keller says this, a couple things. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. So there's a cost when you choose to forgive somebody. It's like, okay, I'm going to open my hand. I'm going to trust you, God, even when I don't feel like you're moving fast enough. Even when I want retribution. Lord, you're not moving fast enough. And so Keller is saying that forgiveness it's kind of like an involuntary suffering because we're letting go of our right to be the judge and we're giving it to God. Number two, he says, forgiveness is not the opposite of seeking true justice. It is, among other things, it's precondition. So if you want God to be a God or you want the justice system to enact justice, God is saying, if I am truly your father, I want you to act justly. And for you to act justly is to do what I ask you to do. What I've asked you to do is to do the work of forgiveness. And three, Keller says, forgiveness is granted often for a good while before it's felt, not before it is granted. In other words, forgiveness is oftentimes a choice. It's a decision. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It doesn't mean that we forget what's happened. But it means, Lord, I need to find a way forward that unlocks the keys of this cage that I am in. And I need you, Lord God, to help me we know that until Jesus returns, we will continue to see and experience things that our minds can hardly comprehend and we don't feel like our hearts can take. And yet God calls us like he tells us in this parable to release the unforgiveness lest we turn around and we become like the servant who was forgiven much and yet we don't forgive others. He said, this is the kingdom of God that you have got to be free for who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I'm sure there's someone in this room today, you're like, I can't. I have tried and I can't. You can't outside of the power of God, but with God, make the step to go forward saying, God, it's too heavy. I can't carry it. So I want to leave you with these few things I want you to consider. These are six steps I've seen, three steps, nine steps, 12 steps. Some of you might lean, I need a hundred steps to forgiveness. But here's a few things I want you to consider. One, give God your hurts. Beloved, some of you are just, you're so heavy laden. In the natural, you might be standing upright, but in the spirit, you're bowed over and you just can't. Your spirit's being choked out and your joy is being choked out. Give God your hurts. Number two, ask God to help you and get the help you need. Brothers, get the help you need. Get the help you need, women of God. Get your kids the help they need, no matter how little or how young they are. Three, meditate on the scriptures about forgiving and being forgiven and get that word in your heart. Number four, write down what you've been forgiven for so on the journey you can remember even if it feels unequal. Number five, this is a hard one. Pray for those who have hurt you 
Bless those who have despitefully used you. Choose make the choice to forgive. Mary and O'Shea and their lives are commendable, but they're not the only ones who have done it. And maybe you feel like there's no way I can do it. Thank God that God gave us a pattern of forgiveness by giving us his son. And so today as we stand to worship, I want you to think about who you need to forgive and what you need to forgive and what's choking out your joy and what's choking out your peace and how in and through the power of God, you might even just take one step forward toward forgiveness so that you can experience true freedom in Jesus. Amen? Let's stand and worship.